welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about, in my mind, the number one insect problem in cornfields. I know in some areas there there's some other bugs that we could add to the list here, but it just doesn't get any bigger than corn rootworm. It's a huge, huge issue, and I got a couple of stories to relate with this particular pest, too. Uh, in today's program, we're going to be taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got a lot of pictures in the last few days, different things happening out in fields around the country. And one of the uh, stories that I had today, I was actually talking with one of our Ag PhD producers who was out in uh, some of our fields today. Uh, but was looking for other fields in the area, too, where they could get some good corn rootworm footage. And I said, well, I hope you don't get any on our farm because we not only put insecticide out on our corn acres, we also put insecticide in furrow on our soybean acres. And we've seen some gains by doing that. There are some things feeding on soybean roots out there. And corn rootworm is not generally one of them. Corn rootworm is looking for corn roots. But on soybean roots, we're also seeing some worm feeding. And I uh, was talking to an agronomist up in North Dakota today, and he had sent some pictures of some bean plants that had some chewing on them. And he's like, what, what is this? Now, it looked like there's some disease on there, and that's what he was mostly concerned on. And I, I said, what do you got that's feeding out there? But he hadn't noticed anything. They hadn't taken note of any bugs that were out there in the field. I know for myself a number of years back, I thought I saw corn rootworm feeding on soybeans. This has probably been 20 years ago now, and it, as fast as time goes. And I, I dug up these worms that were feeding on soybean roots, and I thought, man, I, I've never seen this before. This is something new. And so I got looking into it and took some pictures and, and uh, talked to some different people at universities, and they are like, well... That's pretty cool, Darren, but it's not corn rootworm. Like, what is it? These worms look a lot like corn rootworm. They are bean leaf beetle larvae. So there there are other things to think about out in fields. Now, when it comes to corn rootworms, though, uh, one of the places our producer this morning was doing some digging was on volunteer corn plants in soybean fields, and he was finding some corn rootworm larvae. So he wasn't finding a lot today, but keep in mind, uh, he was looking in some fields of ours that we had put insecticide on the soybeans anyway, so I was sure hoping he wasn't going to find a lot of corn rootworm larvae, but he did find some, and they were feeding. And it's something that we've got to think about because, well, like take our farm, for example, our soybean fields this year will be corn fields next year. And so if we let corn rootworm go and we don't treat that volunteer corn and get it sprayed, which honestly I was kind of disappointed. We still had some volunteer corn plants living in our fields. We have tried to kill them, but I guess it's going to take another application for some lady mergers. But by leaving a home for those corn rootworm larvae to feed, now they can lay eggs for next year's rootworms. So yeah, we got a little ways to go before that. They're going to, the larvae will feed on the roots. They'll emerge as adult beetles and then they'll lay the eggs. But, but still they're going to lay eggs. And if they do that right nearby the plants that they grew up on, well, that's where we're going to have corn next year. And boom, we just ruined our corn rotation uh, where we thought, oh yeah, we went to soybeans and then back to corn everything will be great. No, the, the, 
bugs that were in our corn reproduced in our soybeans and now they'll be right back again so make sure you're getting volunteer corn under control now let's talk about the corn on corn acres we've got some silage acres right next to a dairy and they're probably going to be corn uh, i would say a huge majority of the years so maybe not forever maybe maybe not even next year who knows but it looks like they could be corn on corn we're doing everything we can to stop corn rootworms. So if you've got heavy pressure, here's some of the strategies that we've seen used. Obviously, rootworm BT products are very helpful. They're not perfect anymore. We're seeing rootworm resistance to all of the single traits out there. And so you're seeing a lot of stack traits where you've got two or three shots at hitting these rootworms. I think that's great. I think the new traits coming out, like SmartStacks Pro, for example, that are using the RNA interference, those are very helpful. We had them on our farm last year. We saw improved roots. We did see less issues with the SmartStacks Pro. It is not cheap. They're charging a lot of money for those hybrids, but there is some value there. And if you've got heavy rootworm pressure, I would suggest looking at those. That's the best trait that we've found so far for handling heavy rootworm pressure. But it still has the same problem that the other rootworm traits do in that the rootworm has to take a bite out of the root to ingest that BT protein. And for anybody that's that gets nervous when I talk about BTs, here's exactly how you can talk to non-farmers about this in language that everyone can understand. A BT protein is easily digestible in an acid digestion system like we've got in our stomach. It's not digestible in an alkaline digestive system like the corn rootworm has. So corn rootworm brings that protein in, can't break it down, and eventually it's going to die. But it is going to have to take some bites out of the root. And if you can stop them ahead of time by putting on an insecticide, for example, that's something that we do on our farm. We like to use SmartStacks Pro-type products, then put on an insecticide. That insecticide will kill a lot of those rootworms before they ever take a bite out of the root. So that's what you can do at planting time. And if you do that, you've given yourself your best protection against the larvae. Now, just because you've done that across the road, well, your neighbor might not have done the same thing, and your control might not be perfect, and you have some adult beetles coming out, flying around in the area. You can definitely spray those adult corn rootworm beetles as soon as you see them. The best product we've seen, obviously we've used a lot of the cheaper pyrethroids, and that's nice to save the money, but we've had longer-lasting control out of Steward insecticide from FMC, and that would be a nice choice because you're going to see emergence of those adult beetles over an extended period of time. So if you control them at planting time, you control the adult beetles later, hopefully the next year you have less rootworm pressure to fight. We'll talk about corn rootworms on our show today. We'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about corn rootworm. It's a big, big challenge out there, and likely, if you've got corn on the ground, you did something about it. You chose a BT. You chose an insecticide. You rotated your crops. There's a lot of different things that you can do to try to protect yourself at planting time. Once we're in season, now we're dealing with emerging beetles that are coming out, the adult beetles and those types of things. But I do want to take a, a look at the entire program here as we discuss corn rootworms today. And of course, if you've got questions along the way, just give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Todd Cogdale on with us right now with FMC to talk a little about this bug, corn rootworm. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me on today. All right, I want to talk about a couple of things. Can I start at planting and talk about your Thrive 3D system? That's something we've got in our planter. We've really liked it, and we felt like we've gotten better coverage in the furrow and better control of corn rootworms. Have you noticed a difference with different application methods? Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with that. The the Thrive 3D system is, is a, a great application system for... Um, controlling uh, corn rootworm with um, capture 3D or, or ethos 3D with that, that foaming action uh, uh, with the Thrive 3D system, you, you really do get a better coverage area um, the whole length of the furrow because you get that, that ribbon of, of foam, a continuous unbroken ribbon uh, as you're planting rather than, um, you know, maybe missing some areas if you're running a, a low gallon edge uh, standard in furrow system. Uh, I think you get really good coverage that way. Well, I'll be honest. We were skeptical about the improved coverage. We were really just selfishly looking at, we don't have to fill as often using that Thrive system. So I bet you hear that a lot to have with guys that either want to do a better job or, man, I don't like to have to fill very often. This looks like a good choice. 
Yeah, you know, it, it really is a great system for those guys who, you know, you're you're pushing the number of acres you can you can do in a day. And uh, again, like you said, you don't want to have to stop to fill up, you know, uh, a system where the Thrive 3D system is is kind of that, um, you know, fill once, plant all day type of system. Yeah, I like it. It's it's very rare that you get that where, hey, this is going to be more convenient for me and I do a better job, but we have found that to be true. Uh, okay, so planting time, that's our best shot at protecting this year's crop from rootworm larvae feeding. If we've missed that window, we didn't get a, a capture or an ethos or, or something else out there at planting time. Now we're going to start to see feeding on our roots. What what are you seeing out in fields, Todd? Does this look like a, a tough year for corn rootworm? For for us, with the drought situation, all right, I don't think our plants can take much more stress. Yeah, so I was out in the field uh, earlier this week um, digging roots for, for another, another process, but decided, hey, you know what? We're in that perfect time of year to be getting out there and, and assessing uh, our a risk for the year on on corn rootworm and decided hey let's go ahead and do a float test and and this was a field that was um uh corn soybean rotation non-gmo corn so you know missing one of those um uh opportunities there for for control uh with with non-gm corn uh decided to go and do that float test and, and was seeing you know five to ten larvae per plant now that again this is in a in a rotated area um but could have had a Western corn rootworm variant that laid eggs in in the soybean field. And one thing the grower mentioned was this was a spot that had a lot of uh, late water hemp in its soybeans. So that would have been a great pollen source for them after the corn, you know, pollen shed was over. You know, rootworm uh, adult beetles, they really don't care where they get their pollen from after after their primary source of corn pollen is, is gone. They're going to flock to that next area. And, and that seemed to be the spot in his field. Yeah, it's it's really neat. And if you don't get out there in fields and do some digging yourself, it, it's one thing to hear about it on a show like this, but it's a whole other thing when it's your field and you're out there doing the digging, seeing it with your own two eyes. Yeah, for sure. I you know you, you definitely have to take those opportunities to do to do your scouting to know what your risks are for for this year and and you know plan your control tactics for. Um, you know, later in the season here, once we get toward pollination. Hey, as these worms are growing out in the field, uh, obviously they start off pretty small and by the end they get pretty big. In fact, uh, some of the footage we use on Ag PhD TV with big rootworm larvae uh, came from one of my fields. It was, it hadn't been in corn and I thought maybe I can get by without treatment and i learned my lesson the first go around on that one uh so they do get pretty big uh as, as they start turning into adult beetles though when do you expect we'll start seeing them yeah so generally you'll start to see um the first emergence um those the early egg hatch start to emerge maybe seven to ten days after the peak egg hatch uh which is around that 680 to 760 um, growing degree days, which in the state of Iowa, we're, we're pretty much there or past that um, time here uh, based on growing degree days. A little bit ahead this year with warmer weather. So we should start seeing, you know, a few early adults emerging here soon, um, but really going the peak of them into, you know, that timing that really falls with, with pollination. So, you know, early to mid-July. 
these adult beetles can look different. Uh, and there's a number of different corn rootworm species that we see. We, we do see some southerns. We do see westerns and northerns. Uh, and then there's different colors with each of those bugs. It makes it a little tricky sometimes, Todd. you, you got to look close. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, you know, you definitely have to take the time to, to look in, and see, you know, which species you have and, and to go ahead and identify those. But really, you know, pull out a pull out an ID key from your local university. It's going to be a great opportunity for you to, to learn in the field and take a look at what you have. And, and once you've got that picture in front of you, it, it makes it really easy to go ahead and identify them. Now, in terms of control, I, I was talking about this just a little bit earlier, that we don't see all the adult beetles come out of the ground on the exact same day and the exact same hour. That would be awesome because then when you scout, you'd say, whoa, there's tons of them I for sure have to treat. What we see a lot, Todd, is growers will say, well, I see a few here and there. It doesn't look too bad. But then the next day, well, I see a few more. And then a, a week later, you know what? I see a lot more and I really should have treated a week ago. But when you're spraying some of the, the older, early generation pyrethroid products, you're not really getting that killing residual that you'd like. Uh, talk to us about Steward, how that's a little bit different and a completely different mode of action. Yeah, so Steward EC insecticide is, is an effective in-season management tool. It, it has long residual, so generally up to 21 days of residual control with Steward. Um, things that it's positive about it, again, it's that length of residual to where you know, we're, we're going to target that application when 10% of the females are gravid or, you know, essentially full of eggs, ready to, to lay eggs. Um, so we know that we're controlling the, the female, females and the males that are out there um, for that long period of time. And the benefit of that is not only controlling them for this season to reduce their um, feeding on your silks, but then if you're controlling the, the females prior to them laying eggs, you're also going to be um, reducing for next year that pressure on on your corn uh, going in into the next season. Yeah, it's just so important to do a nice job here. We've got a, I mean, you don't see corn rootworm larvae until it's too late, and if you're unless you're out there digging, but you do see those adult beetles, and when you see them getting after them, can be a really important thing. I, I remember. Gosh, a generation ago, there weren't very many people that talked about killing those adult beetles. They they thought, well, you know, they're just a minor problem. And I, I did actually visit a field that they had chewed off all the silks on the ears and they didn't have good pollination at all. And so that can be a problem, but you're absolutely right. Controlling those beetles so you have less rootworm larvae pressure next year is a big deal, too. I've been talking to Todd Coggill here with FMC. Todd, thank you so much. Really appreciate what you do, and, and have a great summer. You bet. Uh, thanks for having me on again today. We're talking about corn rootworms on our show today, and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When it comes to cereal disease protection... Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. 
Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your ripper is likely leaving 40% of the subsoil undisturbed. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. Dig behind your ripper and you'll see compacted mounds of soil left between the shanks. Traditional points just can't fracture the complete soil profile. 360 bullet ripper points are berm busters. The bullet's wide 14 inch wing shatters the full soil profile for better water infiltration and root access to nutrients. Get the full story at 360yieldcenter.com. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your email questions, radio at agphd.com. If you're thinking about corn rootworm here and you want to send us some pictures, uh, that's totally fine. You can also just give us a phone call at 844-44-AG-PHD. Oh, you're going to love our next guest. We've got Bob Wright on right now with the University of Nebraska. Bob, how you doing? I hope pretty good. I hope for some rain down here. Oh, no kidding. You guys need it even more than we do up here. Yeah. Well, okay, we haven't got rain, but we have gotten heat. And when you think about insect development, heat really pushes things faster, and, and they come out a little bit earlier. Uh, we were just talking to uh, Todd Cogdale, who uh, works with FMC over in the state of Iowa, and he said, man, we're, we're way ahead on GDUs in our area. What are you seeing in Nebraska, and has that, in fact, moved bug hatches a little earlier? Oh, it varies by location, obviously. Uh, we're expecting, I would expect, rootworm beetles in southern Nebraska to start emerging 
around around Fourth of July or early July. That's typically when when we see the first ones emerging. Might see some a little bit earlier than that uh, this year. Sure. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the the bugs themselves. A lot of times I hear. Tell me if this is right, Bob, and maybe maybe this is just one of those crazy things that you hear. But I've heard a lot of people over the years say, "Well, when we start seeing fireflies, it takes about the same amount of GDUs to get that to happen as seeing corn rootworms begin to hatch." Is that is that pretty close, or is that just something somebody made up? No, it it came out of the eastern corn belt, and it seems to work pretty well in Indiana. And a part of the there's several different types of fireflies, and they have different growing degree day requirements. So, not just any firefly. It doesn't apply to all fireflies. Certainly, at least in Nebraska, by the time we see fireflies, we've already had uh, beetles out for a while, typically. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I guess I I haven't ever really studied fireflies to know all the different kinds of fireflies there are, but I have studied corn rootworm, and I know we've got <laughs> northerns, I know we've got westerns, I know we've got some southerns. There there are different rootworm pathogens out there. Where what do you see with these rootworm or rootworm species? I should say, what do you see with the differences here with northerns, westerns, and southerns? And maybe there's others that I'm not even aware of. No, those are the three main ones we have in the Midwest. The big difference is the southern does not overwinter in the upper Midwest. The adults uh, overwinter in the south and fly up in the spring. Uh, the northerns and westerns overwinter in the soil as eggs. Uh, northerns are the ones that have the extended uh, egg egg diapause in some areas, like up up your area in Minnesota and uh North Northwest Iowa, where the eggs, some eggs will hatch out after two years, so it sort of uh, defeats the purpose of a corn-soybean rotation if you have a lot of those eggs. You know, you think about the, the rotations. Are we messing anything up with cover crops? Are, are there cover crops that rootworms are feeding on, or is it already too late? The, the adults have already laid their eggs, and they don't really care one way or the other. In terms of the the larval stage, uh, none of the none of the grass cover crops, like rye, or none of the grass cover crops, are very good hosts for larval rootworms. So I don't think that's influencing things. Good, good. I know we've got some other challenges with anytime we've got grassy areas out there, we see moths and stuff in there, but. Uh, good to hear this is not one of those bugs. Now, when we look at the adults that are coming out, uh, like you say, around the 4th of July normally, uh, and, and then as we move north a little bit later, uh, what do you see with them? I, I mean, sometimes we see silk feeding. Uh, do, you, do you see a big cause for concern other than just maybe an indication there could potentially be more egg laying? Oh, the issue we have in Nebraska, you know, we have a lot of seed corn and popcorn and, and white food-grade corn, and they're concerned about silk clipping in terms of it affecting pollination. Uh, but in field corn, that's typically not as big of an issue. Uh, the thing to check for is, is whether there's some silk exposed beyond the husk that can intercept the pollen. Uh, and then once once the uh, the grain is is pollinated or the ear is pollinated, silk clipping is not a, a yield factor. I I have seen it in my life just one time where I saw a field that had just extreme silk feeding in 
uh, just a regular commercial cornfield where it where it didn't allow pollination, and that was wow. I, I was shocked by that, but it was the worst case scenario. It was a guy that had had continuous corn for many years and really hadn't done anything about it. It's uh, a problem that can certainly build up over time. Well, and the thing we see sometimes, well, certainly the adult beetles can fly around. If you have some later uh, planted corn. Uh, beetles from surrounding fields may concentrate on that later silking corn, and that could be a case where you might interfere with pollination. You'd have enough beetles in that case. Yeah, great point. Great point. Yeah, there there definitely has been this year areas that didn't get in on time, especially as we go north. Um, that that might be something to watch out for yeah. in the later planted corn. Right. Hey, hey, Bob, yeah. we had another corn question that came in, and I, I guess maybe it'd be a good one to ask you as well. Do you see many corn borers anymore? What what do you notice out there? There's always a percentage of acres that are conventional or other types of corn. Are, are corn borers still out there and something to be concerned about? Well, they're they're out there certainly. We've had uh, periodic reports in Nebraska, particularly in uh, organic corn or popcorn or white food grade corn, uh, particularly if you have an isolated area where they've been growing corn after corn, uh, corn borer populations can build up, and we've seen or had reports where people saw economic damage in those cases. And, of course, they weren't scouting for it or spraying at the right time, So, but by the time they saw it, it was too late to do anything. So they're around. They have a very broad host range. They can attack a lot of different types of plants besides corn. Uh, potatoes are another potential host plant. Uh, there's very bright host range as well as uh, uncultivated uh, cultivate, uh, weedy areas can support uh, some degree of corn borers. So they persist in the area, even with BT corn. Okay, this is fun. I got another question that came in. Can you please ask Bob about grasshoppers and other insects in drought conditions with Nebraska being so dry? Are there any insects that are on the uptick this year? Uh, yeah, we, we are seeing grasshoppers start the hatch in uh, southern Nebraska the last couple of weeks, and uh, that's a concern. Spider mites, I guess, would be the other obvious thing we, we're concerned about uh, developing in hot, dry conditions. And one thing is uh, we, in corn and soybeans, we really don't encourage people to use calendar treatments of insecticides or, or if, if you're spraying a fungicide and soaking in corn, Unless you have some economically damaging insects, don't automatically just put in a insecticide to clean up the field because you could kill off the natural enemies that are suppressing spider mites, and that could be a problem later in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Got to do your scouting first and see what you've got. Hey, speaking of scouting out there, Bob, since we got you on, how about soybeans and gall midge? Is that a is it a big year for that? Are you guys figuring anything else out on that particular pest? Yeah, it's a little too early to say whether it's a big year. We had some indication in the past we thought they did better in wet years, so hopefully they won't do as good in dry years. We're starting to see uh, the orange larvae, which are the last stage larvae in parts of Iowa, uh, Minnesota, and Nebraska the last week or so. So they're definitely growing and uh, developing. Uh thing to check is field borders. That's where they they Typically, especially if you're in a corn-soybean rotation, they're going to move from last year's uh, soybeans into this year's soybeans. And so typically, field borders would be the first place you would see injury or evidence of soybean gall midge. 
if you haven't seen them before in your area. Yeah, it's a it's a growing concern. I know in states outside of Nebraska as well, the soybean gall midge larvae. Uh, we're talking with Bob Wright down at University of Nebraska. We asked him to talk a little about corn rootworm, but of course, uh, Bob likes to talk about any kind of insects out there. Bob, thank you so much for what you do. Really appreciate having you on. Okay, you're welcome. Corn rootworm is our focus of today's show, though, and if you've got questions on rootworm or rootworm management or any agronomic topic, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event Saturday, June 24th, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Join us as we head into the field for hands-on sessions covering everything from how to pull soil and plant tissue tests, ways to improve crop health, the importance of microbiology and farming, and much more. Plus, in our comprehensive guide to crop scouting, we'll explore both above and below ground in a variety of crops as we diagnose problems with insects, weeds, diseases, and anything else we may find. As we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, this day is geared more towards students and young farmers. But anyone with the desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. So whether you're a college student or just want the good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day. It's Saturday, June 24th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. Are you ready? We got the need. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. 
We're broadcasting from the Martin studio, and our topic is corn rootworms. If you have any agronomic questions, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Brian, as we talk about corn rootworm, this is certainly something we plan for on our farm every year. We know we're going to have lots of corn acres and some corn on corn acres. It's it's a big concern because it can take away a lot of yield fast. Yeah, it can. And we are doing almost, well, not quite half the farm, probably a third of the farm is continuous corn. So, yeah, we do know we're going to have a problem. But here's the thing. Even if you're rotating in our area, our area is probably 60% corn. So there are a lot of rootworm beetles flying around. And what we do know is there have been a lot of western corn rootworm beetles now found in soybean fields. They have figured out, hey, this is where I lay my eggs, and next year it's going to corn. Northern corn rootworm beetles a lot of times will lay eggs that won't hatch for two years. So again, it's a way to get around the rotational thing. So if you think, well, I'm going to solve my corn rootworm problems by simply rotating one year to soybeans, it's probably not going to work too well. You want to go two years to beans, or let's say you want to go a year of beans, a year of wheat, whatever, and then go back to corn, that'll be better. But rootworms are a problem. And here's the other thing. I mean, look at the corn markets in just the last few days, and you go, whoa, I can get $6 new crop corn? Um, Why do I want to take all that risk? And who knows what it'll be next year. But all I'm saying is you don't have to have a lot of bushels lost to justify throwing some insecticide out there, especially since there are some very inexpensive options, whether it's capture LFR or some other liquid, not bad. Now, if you've got a real problem, you can go to one of the dries, and you might say, well... I don't know if I want to spend $20 or $25. Well, that's four bushels of corn. I mean, we know corn rootworms easily can take 20 to 30 bushels if they're, you know, even at moderate pressure. So it is certainly a, a big concern. I, I would say this, you because a lot of people go, well, I, I never know if I'm going to have rootworms or not. Look in your fields this summer around tasseling, And if you're seeing corn rootworm beetles, you know two things. Number one, you had rootworms in your field this year. Number two, you know that those rootworm beetles are laying eggs now or going to be. I mean, whenever you see them. So if you want to stop future generations from being bad or even being existent, um, it's not that tough. Just literally as soon as you start seeing corn rootworm beetles, you've got to spray I don't care if it's in corn or in soybeans, whatever crop it is, you'd have to spray right away. If you wait and you go, well, I want more rootworm beetles to come out, or I'm going to try to time it better because I want to spray fungicide in 10 days, so I'm just going to wait till then. No, you're too late. It does not take very long. Those, those rootworm beetles are soon laying eggs, so you've got to get to them early before they lay the eggs, and then you're going to cut down that future population. So. We've seen so many rootworm beetles in our area that for some guys, this is almost standard practice now because they go, whoa, when I see all those rootworm beetles, it tells me my rootworm insecticide and my trait didn't cut it. Because let's face it, if whatever you used at planting time and and the trait, um, those two things should have killed everything and you shouldn't see any rootworm beetles. So when you see some, that tells you you got a problem. Yeah, it sure does. And 
Uh, we were talking with Bob Wright down at University of Nebraska. He said, hey, we're getting towards the 4th of July here. This is when you start seeing some of those adults emerge. I know we're way ahead on GDUs in some areas this year. We could see them a little bit earlier. You got to keep an eye out, and they're going to look different whether they're northerns, westerns, southerns. There's three main types that we see here in the upper Midwest. So uh, do take a close look at those bugs and identify them and, and see what you've got out in the field. And we're also seeing bean leaf beetles and other bugs flying around that look fairly similar. So just take a look at, at each bug that you see, do some scouting, and, and keep an eye on what's happening. Yeah, and the big thing I would just say is when crop prices are high, and insecticide prices are cheap. The threshold does not need to be very high to justify a treatment. So I'm not saying in all cases you spray, and I'm certainly not saying you just spray without seeing bugs. But I am saying, out your fields, if you see some, I'd be pulling the trigger. I know we will on our farm. Yep, and there's more applications to be made in a lot of fields, whether it's fertility or I would say fungicide is probably the most popular at this time from here to uh, shortly after tassel. So if you're out doing a fungicide application, you can can definitely mix in insecticide at the same time. Uh, Bob Wright made a good comment, though. He said, you know, we are so dry that you got to be a little bit careful because if you're out spraying a cheap pyrethroid trying to knock out uh, rootworm beetles, you could kill off all the bugs that could be predators for mites and then get a spider mite flare up. So you definitely have to keep that in mind too. So thinking of that, Brian, let's just say that we had some corn rootworm beetles and we had some spider mites out there. Bifenthrin might be an option for some where bifenthrin is still effective on the mites, but man, it's pretty early to be spraying for mites. There could be eggs. There could be another shot of mites coming up later too. Yeah, it all depends on the timing. So if it was today, let's just say, for example, it was today, and you go, whoa, i got spider mites, and I've got a whole bunch of adult corn rootworm beetles, and I want to kill them both, what would I do? I'd be real tempted to throw zeal in for the mites, because I want to kill the eggs, not just the adults, and then include a cheap pyrethroid as my, my, my product of choice for killing those rootworm beetles. So that's probably what I would do. Now, if it gets a little bit later, let's say you're mid-July, at that point, then I would consider either bifenthrin or dimethoate because both of those should, at least in our geography, kill most of the mites. And I'm not going to say they're going to be as good as zeal. Okay, they aren't. But they should kill most of the mites. And then they're also going to take care of your adult corn rootworm beetles. And there, you're going to only spend 5 to $7 an acre as opposed to if you did a combination of, let's say it was zeal together with, a cheap pyrethroid, you're going to spend 15 to $20 an acre. So I don't like the extra expense, but by the same token, I don't want to have to spray a zillion times for spider mites either. Nope, that's for sure. And you, you definitely need to be scouting before you make any applications. As you mentioned, uh, I know Bob Wright had mentioned that too. Make sure you're scouting, see what's out in your fields first, then you can make those decisions. Anything else you want to add to corn rootworm? Just that this is usually the worst pest we have in corn, and you there is no rescue. So at planting time, you have to decide, hey, am I going to use an insecticide? Am I going to use a trait? Or am I going to use both? That's really it. If you say, you know what, I think I'm going to try to get by without this year. Well, just understand, if they show up later, there's nothing you can do. 
Yep, that's for sure. Uh, and, you know, you are going to see some things out in the field that are tough to manage, and we'll get to some of those right now in the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! Got this one from Keith over in Illinois, and he said, Guys, uh, you talk about scouring rush a lot, that that uh, weed that has no leaves, just a little tube that that sticks up out of the ground, and it's a perennial. So I've been doing a little brush spraying along some ditch banks and field edges, and I've heard you talk about what it takes to kill scouring rush, but I'm sending you a picture, and he sent a couple of pictures here. He said, I didn't get all of this particular patch sprayed, but I did spray a little bit of scouring rush as I was trying to kill some other things out there, and I was using Remedy Ultra. Well, guess what? Remedy Ultra actually did a pretty nice job on the scouring rush. He goes, you might add that to your list of products that you talk about whenever you bring up scouring rush. Hey, thanks, Keith. We really appreciate that. And now Remedy Ultra, Brian, it doesn't have the super long residual like a Tordon or a Milestone if you're out killing brush. But, man, if you're along some ditch banks and, and that type of thing like Keith was, that looks pretty good. His pictures look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, We, I guess... Really, the reason why we haven't talked about it in the past is it's not labeled for in-crop use or like burn-down use. So, I, 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 and and quite frankly, a lot of people don't, just to be blunt, don't care as much when it's in the ditch or something like that in some of these non-crop areas. No, but, but yes, that's... That, that, that's where you see something like scouring Russia. It's often in those ditches or lower areas out in fields or on the edge of fields. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trifold, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag now. And uh, again, our phone lines are open, so if you want to call in, you sure can. Uh, got this question that came in from from Wayne. And he said, all right, guys, my landlady asked me why nothing was growing in her garden, not even weeds. I suggested a soil test, the local co-op ran a test and I've attached it here. Sorry, it's not a complete test, but there are some red flags that popped up even on the limited amount of data that we've got. She had applied some ammonium sulfate last fall and tilled that in. Then this spring she put on NP and K and tilled that in. Unfortunately, I'm not sure on exactly what rates she put on. I'm assuming there's too much salt. Uh, this is a small garden. It's in town. It's well-drained. Just wondering, where does she start to correct this? Hey, thanks, Wayne. Really appreciate that. Wayne's in Iowa, if I didn't mention that before. You know, one of the challenges this year in Iowa is there's a lot of parts of Iowa not getting much rain. And when you've got too much salt, if you even if you've got good drainage, if you're not getting any rain, you can't flush that salt out. And I'm betting if they just put on fertilizer here um, last fall and this spring, some of that may not even be reflected on this test. It may not be broken down yet. It may not have gotten into the sample, those kinds of things. And we already see a base saturation K of... 15% on a 23 CEC soil, so heavy ground with lots of potassium. That is 1,354 parts per million. <laughs> that, that is a lot of K. So I think she's good for a long time on the fertilizer. And on the phosphorus, it's a lot, but it's not like it's a, an amount that's going to kill plants or anything. It's 125 parts per million and 4% organic matter here. So when we look across the base saturation, yeah, 15% K, 14% magnesium, and we'd love to see that K, uh, about half the magnesium. We'd love to see about 7% K, and then 71% calcium. Now, what can you do to, to use up fertility in a garden that has so much salt that you can't get anything to grow? I think it's going to take water. I think you're going to have to flush that salt out. I, I think you're going to have to water it pretty heavily to try to move that salt down. 
if you could add some more topsoil to it that doesn't have fertility, I guess you could kind of blend it down that way. I don't know how big a garden this is, but yeah, to me, it looks like if it was me and you said, gosh, I have this problem in my garden at my house, I would just move the garden. So maybe you took the southwest corner of your backyard, maybe take the southeast corner instead and just start over because your levels are so high, it's going to take a while to get those back down. So that would be my thought. Use lots of water and see if she can move the garden. And yeah, Wayne, I know it's your your landlord. Maybe you offer to, to help set up the sides or whatever she's got around the outside of the garden and, and just start over because there's still enough growing season left. There's still a lot of things that, that could be grown. Hey, thanks for the question and good luck. Uh, oh, and also kudos for, for getting the soil test run, even though they didn't do a complete analysis that, that does, like you say, uh, sure raise some red flags out there. All right. Um, got a question from Jason up in Alberta. He sent us a picture of some canola that has flowers that are aborting. And that, that's a tough thing. He said, I'm just curious on your thoughts why we're seeing so much canola flower abortion in the area this year. We're leaning towards environmental stress, causing a hormonal imbalance in the plant, but wondering if we can prevent it. This is showing up on thousands of acres right now across the region. Hey, Jason, thanks for, for sending the picture. I'm so sorry you guys are going through that. I, there's been so much heat I just can't hardly believe it when I look uh, a lot of days and we're hot here in South Dakota and I see the kind of heat that's going north of the border and it's even worse. That That's not good and I know you have lots of daylight so your plants just aren't getting a break. Yeah, it sure looks like that to me. Um, I don't know, you know if there's anything else that's been done out there but I don't see the rest of the plant doesn't really show any signs of like a herbicide injury or anything like that. So what can you do? Uh, I mean, there's some things you could do and to find out if, if this is what it is, you know, let's, for example, is my plant looking terrible because of drought? Well, you can go out and water a small area in your field and see, um, I just, this is not a great example, but I'm going to give it anyway. We've got a small raised garden that, that one of my sons is, is trying to manage. And he had put some tomato plants out there that were really small. His brother had started them in the house and, and he was going to transplant them outside. Well, it happened to be a 95 degree day and he didn't water them. And so the next day I, I went out to see, you know, well, how's it coming out there? And he's like, yeah, my tomatoes don't look good. And and I said, well, how much water have you given him? He goes, well, I, I didn't water him yet. I just planted him yesterday. And the soil had some moisture in it. And I said, well, not enough on a 95-degree day. Let's give him some water. And by the next day, they were already looking much, much better. You know, you could just take a small area and do that. You could also try a bunch of different things. I mean, if you get some acres that you're just going to ride it out and see what happens out there, maybe do a few different treatments on the side and see if you can save them. Um, you look at the the hormonal imbalance. Ethylene production is one of the things that fungicides can help with. Maybe there's a fungicide app that, that could help slow down that ethylene production. Um, maybe you use a, a growth hormone mix. like a, a, In our country, there's a product called Inertia that we use, but it, it's a mix of different growth regulators specifically designed to improve plant pollination and the viability of the pollen, that could be something. Um, 
But man, when you've got hot days like this, uh, pollen viability can be not good. So maybe try a few different things out there, but I think you're on the right track there, Jason, that it's just environmental stress. That's, that's a rough situation to be in. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Jeff. He's over in Southeast Indiana. He said, I'm about an hour west of downtown Cincinnati. I've got a mixed grass hayfield that is about 40% red clover, and I'm having a weed problem with buckhorn plantain. Is there any herbicide option for killing buckhorn and saving the clover? Well, it's tough when you've got a grass crop and a broadleaf crop mixed to find a herbicide that's not going to kill grass and not going to kill broadleafs, but it is going to kill a specific broadleaf. I I can't think of any at all, Jeff. And and if you said, okay, well, what if I had just red clover and I had buckhorn plantain? There just aren't very many herbicides labeled in red clover. And and to kill a broadleaf in a clover like that is tough. I, I look at alfalfa that's on a lot more acres than, than what red clover is, at least to, to my knowledge. And in alfalfa, what do I have for choices that are labeled? I'd have buck troll and I'd have raptor or pursuit and 24db or butyrac. That's it. That's all I have for broadleaves, even in a really big acre crop like alfalfa. So, I mean, if it was me and and it was labeled, I would probably try Buctrol or Bromoxanil, but I don't think anything's labeled for your mix of, of uh, grass and red clover. So, no, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything, I guess, uh, just cutting it as often as you can until uh, you get to the end of the season and then starting over. That, that would be my suggestion, but I don't have any pictures to know how bad the, the weed problem is. So... And I also don't know how big the the area is. If it's a one-acre plot, that might be one thing where you say, you know what, it stinks, but I'm going to go out and do some hand weeding. Although buckhorn plantain, that isn't the easiest thing to, to try and get rid of that way. So, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're in trouble. I, I don't see any way to get that under control. Uh, thanks for the question, though. Uh, another one that I don't have a great answer for comes in from Rob. Rob's down in western Missouri. And he said, I've got a charger Tef for dry hay, and I'm wondering if there's anything I can spray on it for cockleburr. I don't know of herbicides labeled for Tef, but I do know about cockleburr. And cockleburr can outgrow a lot of other crops. And if you've got big, tall cockleburr, you've got a great option there of using Roundup in a wick. And you could wick that cockleburr and wipe it out. Uh, if 2,4-D is an option, any kind of 2,4-D that would be labeled would do a decent job on cockleburr as well. And of course, you can always hand pull it. It's an annual weed. You could wipe it out that way too. I know that's what my dad did with Brian and me a lot when we were younger. Hey, uh, go hand pull those weeds out of that field because I don't have a great option to spray. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Rob. And thanks to you for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.